We're going to be reading in 2 Kings 22 today. If you have your Bibles, bust those out. Go ahead and flip there because we're going to get there pretty quick. 2 Kings 22. Talking about a king who took the throne at eight years old, and I just happen to have an eight-year-old. So for context, because most of us, for me, if eight feels like a long time ago, I don't remember what headspace I was in at eight or even what an eight-year-old looks like sometimes. So Nate, if you'll come up here really quick. <laughs> hey, buddy. Here, you scoot forward just a little bit. I'm going to ask some super simple questions, okay? If you don't know the answer, that's okay. Just say, I don't know. All right. What is your birthday? April 28th. Very good. Do you know what year you were born in? No. That's okay. That's all right. So don't know the year. That's okay. You know you're eight, though, right? Your birthday's in April. That's good. Okay. So I'm going to give you a scenario. Let's say you went to bed last night and you woke up this morning, and when they woke you up, they were like, hey, you're the king. You're the king of the world now. What is the first thing, anything you want, literally like good, bad, snacky, whatever, whatever, the first thing you would do as king? Play video games. Play video games. That's like a good, that sounds like a fun king. I like that. All right, I'm going to ask you one more thing. You know a little bit about being in leadership, right? Because you're an older brother, so you're a leader. Yeah. You're a king. Who do you want to lead like? Is like there anybody you know or anybody you've heard of and you're like, I want to lead like that guy? No. You're just going to do your own thing. Okay. I like it. Thank you, buddy. You can go. Very good. Good job, Nate. <laughs> he did so good. I just think sometimes it's hard to wrap our minds around like an eight-year-old because they're kind of in an interesting spot, right? Like he's still very much a kid. He's like, I want to play video games. But also I have every confidence in my child that he loves the Lord. Like he's professed the Lord. And I, I really truly believe that like in a pinch, he would do what the Lord would have him do. So it's weird to think about an eight-year-old being king because we're like, no, it's just a baby child. But God says something special about childlike faith. They have something in them that they are able to exercise. And it's a faith that sometimes as adults we miss out on. And in Judah's case, this is actually really good news for them because they're going to need someone with good faith. All right, we're going to jump in. Second Kings 22. We're going to do 1 through 13. And please forgive some of these names. Okay. Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jedidiah, the daughter of Adiah of Bozkath. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and walked in all the way of David, his father. If you have a like, hard copy, if you can underline the word David. And he did not turn aside to the right or to the left. In the 18th year of King Josiah, so we just jumped here. It's now in his 18th year of rule. The king sent Shaphan, the son of Azaliah, son of Meshulam, the secretary, to the house of the Lord, saying, Go up to Hilkiah, the high priest, that he may go count the money that has been brought into the house of the Lord, which the keepers of the threshold have collected from the people. And let it be given into the hands of the workmen who have oversight of the house of the Lord. And let them give it to the workmen who are at the house of the Lord repairing the house, that is, to the carpenters and to the builders and to the masons. And let them use it for buying timber and quarried stone and, repair, and to repair the house. But no accounting shall be asked from them for the money that is delivered into their hands, for they deal honestly. Uh, verse 8. And Hilkiah the high priest said to Shaphan, the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan, and he read it. And Shaphan the secretary came to the king and reported to the king, Your servants have emptied out the money that was found in the house and have delivered all that was found 
in the, I'm sorry, and have delivered it into the hands of the workmen who have oversight of the house of the Lord. Verse 10. Then Shaphan, the secretary told the king, Hilkiah, the priest has given me a book and Shaphan read it to the king. When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes. And the king commanded Hilkiah, the high priest, and Icham, the son of Shaphan, and Akbor, the son of Micah, and Shaphan, the secretary, and Isaiah, the king's servant, saying, Go inquire of the Lord for me, and for the people, and for all Judah, concerning the words of this book that has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is kindled against us, because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book to do according to all that is written concerning us. Whew. So, we already know that Josiah takes the throne at eight years old. And how he takes it is very tragic. If you go one chapter back, his dad, Amon, is not a good king. He's a wicked king. And he does what is evil in the sight of the Lord. And because of that, he's only allowed to serve two years in Judah before his own people murder him in his house, in Josiah's house. So the morning he wakes up king at eight years old is because his father was just murdered by his own people. Unfortunately for him, because of this, and fortunately for the kingdom, something isn't allowed to happen, and that's training. So I don't know how familiar you are with Queen Elizabeth. It's okay, you can look her up. She's kind of famous. But um, one of the benefits and biggest blessings she would say of her life, even though her father died at what we would say as a young age for her to take the throne, she was able to train up underneath him. And this is the truth and wisdom in any good leadership, right? We should always be training someone up underneath us, especially someone who oversees a kingdom. Because one day that eight-year-old is going to rule the kingdom. That's the plan. For Josiah, this training was not an option. So he had the second best thing that was available to him. And that was his tradition. Scripture says, I had you underline David. He chose to walk in the way of King David. And this is good news because his dad is wicked, right? That's what got him murdered. But scripture tells us that David was a wholehearted king. He was a king after God's own heart. So, makes sense that we get to the story. Josiah's grown up, we're in his 18th year, and he's like, what do I want to do this year? Well, David was about the temple. He was about the Lord's house. Even though he didn't get to build it, God gave him the plans for it. He loved it deeply. And so it makes sense that the man who's following him in his tradition is like, I'm going to be about the Lord's house. Also, just side note, it should be, as we're reading the story, heartbreaking to realize after the garden, there is one place God chose to put his presence on the earth, and it was in the temple, in the house of the Lord, and is in disrepair. That shows us just how far these people have fallen. So Josiah's like, we're going to do some work. We're going to uh, repair the house of the Lord because I care about it, because David cared about it. And lo and behold the high priest stumbles upon, a, he's like, I found a book. You're like, oh, like a, just like a random book? It's like the book of the law. What is the book of the law? Very good question. It is the first five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. It's literally the story of the Jewish people. It is literally the story of how they got to where they were, how Jos Josiah was sitting on the throne because of what had happened. It's also an agreement that Josiah's forefathers had made with Yahweh. It's a covenant. It's a legally binding agreement that they had made. And it wasn't just for them. In the agreement, it says, hey, if you say yes to this, I need you to do something. I need you to be careful to teach it to your children. 
Because this isn't just legally binding to you. This is legally binding to your kids and their kids and their kids. So make sure they understand this book. Make sure every new king has a copy of it for himself. This is the first time in his 18 years he's seeing this book. How far these people have fallen. So Josiah hears the book. He hears the law read. And it's these 600 some odd laws, like 613, 615. Israel was like, yeah, we'll do that. And he's, they're like, yeah, our kids will do that. We'll, t- we'll make sure they know. And then it's probably, it doesn't really say like exactly what chapter shook him or what book shook him, but it's very likely the last book and the very last chapters in Deuteronomy. Because it lays out this, it says, hey, you said yes. I'm glad about that. Now you need to know, I am setting before you a blessing and a curse. If you do well to obey the words of my commands, you will enter the promised land, the land that he is ruling right now. You will enter there and you will prosper and you will be fruitful and you will multiply and your enemies will not come against you and prosper. But there's also a curse if you choose disobedience. There will be death. The land will not prosper. And guess what? It's going to get to a point when you choose, when you choose disobedience to this agreement that a foreign land is going to come in and carry you off. Y'all, <laughs> why does Josiah tear his clothes? Because he realizes something about the character of God when he reads this word. He keeps his promises. For better and for worse, he keeps his promises. You have to understand, at this time, Israel, at the beginning, was one united kingdom under Saul and then David and then Solomon died and the kingdom split into two, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. Josiah is now king over the southern portion of the kingdom. Who's the king over the north? I'm glad you asked. Um, They were carried away by a foreign country, Assyria. Ask me why. It's a big shock. I'm glad you asked. They disobeyed the words of the covenant. So as Josiah is hearing this, he's like, 613 laws, and we were probably breaking every single one of them. I know what's going to happen because I've already seen it happen. He's living this out in real time. He's living out in real time, one, the goodness of God, because he's still there. But two, the reality that it is a God who keeps his promises. Because guess what? Israel to the north is no longer there. And in the same way that Josiah gets to understand the character of God, like the real character of God, not what people had said about him, not what tradition had told about him, which wasn't all bad, by the way. It had actually gotten him this far to repair the temple. Tradition is not all bad. Don't misunderstand me. In the same way that he was introduced to the character of God, that he keeps his promises, we actually learn something about the character of God in his story, in Josiah's story. And this is good news for someone this morning. God is long-suffering. God is full of grace, abounding in steadfast love. You have to understand, Josiah was literally doing his best with what he had. It was just like one right step, and then another right step, and they were baby steps. 18 years it took him to be like, the temple's important. But he got there. God was slow to anger. 18 years he waited. And in this 18 years, you have to understand, it's not like 
um, all of a sudden, overnight, he was like, all right, I'm following in the footsteps of David. Eight years old, everything's going to change. No, when he found this book, there was child sacrifice going on in Israel because of his great-grandfather. Still happening. Male cult prostitution. Idols were in the house of the Lord, in his very presence. And God could have struck it all. But he saw a man who was wholehearted. And he waited because God is patient. Josiah, he was presented with a choice when that, when that book was read in his presence. The choice was, you can continue with your tradition, which has brought you this far. Or you can let God's word change you. You can let it do some work. And it's not going to be easy. You have two generations before you, at least, who have made things wicked, who have brought in all of these occult practices that God was like, hey, don't do that. Or they're like, do this, like little kids. Like, this is the thing you don't want me to do. And Josiah gets to be the one to come in and be like, I have to handle that now. He didn't start it. It didn't matter. Because when God's word, word started working on him, he realized there were things that were broken inside of his way of thinking, inside of his people's way of living. And he was convicted. He tore his robes because he was like, I got some work ahead of me. He repents on behalf of the kingdom. And guess what happens? Under Josiah's rule, Judah is not carried away by a foreign government. Then Josiah's son, he becomes king over Judah. And the Bible says he was wicked. He doesn't even get to rule very long. I think it's like two months. And Egypt comes in. Uh, Pharaoh Nico or whatever. He comes in puts him, like cast him out into Egypt and puts his brother, another one of Josiah's sons on the throne so he can control him like a puppet. And from there, almost immediately Babylon comes in. It wasn't about doing the right things because had it been about that, Josiah would have set his sons up for success. They would have been golden. Hey, I'd, I went in and cleaned house. All you have to do is maintain it. It wasn't about what they did. It was about their heart. There's something crazy that's happening or that happened in Judah. And it's like, man, nothing really is new under the sun because it still happens today. I think it's worth taking some time to talk about, since we've talked about the character of God, which is what scripture is first and foremost about. Like God wants you to know who he is. He's not trying to hide it. It wasn't a coincidence that the, the book of the law was found in the temple. There's no coincidences in the kingdom of God, right? So it's no coincidence that in Judah, the temple's still around. Like regardless of all the things that are profaning God's people, making them unholy when he's called them to be holy, regardless of that, he didn't remove his presence from the temple. He's still choosing to dwell there. But it's not doing anything. And that's kind of frustrating for me as a believer. I'm like, why? You have the presence. What are you doing? It's because they didn't know the person of the presence. And this is so true for us today. I'm going to give you kind of a funny example that we're going to talk about a little more. This is why it is so important to know the who of the presence of God. So before Nathaniel and I had kids, we liked to do fun things that cost money. It was a luxury. Um, and one of those things was 
we would go up to St. Louis. There was like a supercross race every year. Yeah, I'm gonna try to keep very few details because I will butcher it if I don't. Um, anyway, they're like these dirt bikes, yeah. Okay, that race indoor, and it is so fun. We all loved it. And we would go up to St. Louis, and we loved, we loved it so much that we would go backstage. It's called the pits. Now, when you're in the pits, <laughs> now when you're in the pits, it's basically like where the riders, they'll like park their campers and stuff, and they'll sit out and sign autographs before the race. So you get to like meet the rider, meet the racer. It was so cool. So we're, there's people everywhere. So we're back in the pits, and we're like walking through this crowd, you know, like a bunch of people everywhere, and these people start flooding out from like kind of across the way, and we're like literally walking into them. So we had to stop like on both sides. And I look up and Nathaniel's like talking to some dude. He like struck up a conversation, was like shaking his hand. They were smiling. And I was like, this is cool. Like they're bonding over dirt bikes. And <laughs> this is so cool. So he finishes talking to this guy. The crowd passes and he comes up and he's like, did you get a picture of that? And I was like, of what? And he was like, that was Ricky Carmichael. I'm like, I don't know who Ricky Carmichael is. I'm so sorry. He's like, Taylor, I just met the greatest writer of all time, shook his hand, and you just like didn't get a picture? It's because I didn't know who he was. Had I known who he was, I would have behaved differently. But I had no idea whose presence I was in. I didn't know the person, unfortunately for Nathaniel. But the memory lives on. Listen, guys, this is the same thing. The same thing is true if you flip the narrative. If all you know is this, and you've never been into the presence of God, you only know about him. Because until you step into someone's presence, you don't have a relationship with them. You've never, literally never met them. You just know about them. And I'm afraid this is the error that we are making in our generation. We choose a side of the line to fall on. We're like, well, we're not really comfortable with the presence of God because things might get weird. They did in the Bible. Makes sense. So they're like, presence, 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 presence. Love is presence. Live in his presence. And that is good and right. And then we have people on the other side, and this is where I would have said I grew up, where we're like, it's all about the word. You have to have the word. Know the word. Know the person. He's the word. Jesus is the word. That's what the Bible says. If you knew it, you'd know that. And we stand on the other side of the line. It's like, no, marry the two. What is it to know the person if you've never met them? Nathaniel knew all about Ricky Carmichael, but had never met him. He didn't know. He has no relationship with Ricky Carmichael. For me, I was in Ricky Carmichael's presence, but I had no idea who he was. You have to have both. And in case you're hearing, you're like, of course, Taylor would get up there and tell us to read our Bibles. Um, in case you're hearing like a guilt trip into reading your Bibles, please do not misunderstand me. That is not what this is. Like I said, God was not after what they were doing. They were doing a lot of things wrong in Josiah's time. He was after their heart. It's the same thing he's been after the whole time. Nothing has changed. It benefited Josiah to follow in David's footsteps because David was a wholehearted king. The greatest commandment when they're testing Jesus, what does he say? He's like, it's all of the 613 laws. This is what sums them up. Love the Lord your God with your whole heart. God doesn't want you to join a Bible study just to be in a Bible study. He doesn't want you to read your Bible just so you can say, I, re I read the Bible. I read the Bible. He wants your heart. I think it's worth mentioning again that Josiah did the best with what he had. 
So if there's anyone that's like, oh, feeling the, the guilt, it's okay. God did not despise Josiah. He met him where he was. And he kept giving him a little bit more and a little bit more. And Josiah kept proving that he was faithful with a little more and the little more. And it didn't happen overnight. Scripture says we're being transformed degree by degree. That is so painful in our generation. We're like, can we do like a, like, can I get to like a 180, please? And you look back two years ago and you're like, I've done like, I've gone like three degrees. And God's like, I am satisfied as long as I have your heart. Let's keep doing work. Let's keep moving. This is the reality. Tradition can only bring you so far. Don't despise it. It's where I got my love for God's word. That's not wrong. But it's not enough. There is an issue that is like plaguing the church right now. and It's heartbreaking. And it has to do with tradition. I'm not sure if you've heard the word self, uh, not self-destruction, <laughs> whoops, um, deconstruction. I'm not sure if you know that word or have heard it. But it's basically where someone who is, they've kind of ran into something within the church world where they're like, I'm not okay with this. I, I have questions about this. And they start de- deconstructing their faith. And that is not bad. That is not wrong. And we shouldn't shame people for that. Because if an engine is smoking, and you just keep driving like nothing's happening, you're going to cause some problems. Like bigger than just whatever is causing the engine to smoke. You should probably pull over and check that out, you know? The problem is with deconstruction, we have the internet. And we're like, I'm just going to see what Google has to say about my perspective on this. And we let people speak into us things that they believe about the issues we're having. Or we join a Facebook group for people who have gone through the same thing. And we're like... What is someone else going to tell me about this? What is someone, just so you know, like an outside perspective. And I'm like, hey, I love you, but I have a question. Um, Isn't it someone else's tradition that got you in, in this situation in the first place? If you do that, you're going to get back on the road and your engine's going to start smoking. Because there is one truth. Like, that's it, guys. There's one truth. It doesn't change. It's not going to change. And it's not going to lead you wrong. This is just a word for someone. If you are confused, if you are struggling, follow in the footsteps of Josiah, a wholehearted king who said something's not right. And he let it change him. He didn't despise his tradition for it. He didn't drop it. He let the word of God change him. And that's it. That's the point of this story. We ought to be people of the word, and we ought to be people of the presence. We have to be both. Hosea 4, 6 says, my people perish for a lack of knowledge. My people are dying because they don't know. And it's not because it's out of ignorance like Josiah. He actually goes on to say, they have rejected it. They don't want it. Can we talk about something? I'm about to get a little bit fired up. I'm sorry. Can we talk about something? These, he says, my people are dying because they reject knowledge. Why, when something is broken, do we run to the internet? Do we run to our best friend, even if they're holy? Why is that our first step? 
Do not reject knowledge. People die. They are perishing for rejecting it. It's right here. God is not trying to hide himself from you. Do you understand? (laughs) Uh, Do you understand in 52 countries, it is illegal to have this book. It is illegal to meet with other believers and try to enter the presence of God as a community. Shot dead on site in North Korea. And not just you, it's to the fourth generation in your family. If they think, if they believe that you are professing believer. I don't know if you've ever heard of Corrie ten Boom. Her story is incredible. I'm not going to take up a bunch of time sharing it, but she was a Dutch watchmaker and her family was hiding Jews during the Holocaust. They were believers. And eventually they were found out and they were sent to concentration camp. They go to this concentration camp. It's filthy. People are dying. It's not enough food. People are getting gassed. It's just, it's a, it is a very dark place to be. And Corey goes with her sister. And they're not allowed to, you know, they're made to take all their jewelry out. They pulled out people. If you had golden teeth or whatever, they like take, they just take everything from you. You're stripped. You aren't even human anymore. So there was no sneaking anything past these guards. Before she was taken and arrested and brought to the concentration camp, Corrie ten Boom hit a Bible. She was like, I have nothing. I'm going to a place where I might die. Praise the Lord. He's sending me. You know what I'm going to bring? I'm not going to bring my watch. I don't need that where I'm going. I'm going to bring the word of God. But you're like, Corey, there's a problem. They pat everyone down. There's no way you're sneaking that by these Nazi guards. So she prayed when she was in line. She was like, God, hide me. Hide your word. Every person's pat down and they get to her. And the guard says, keep moving. She sneaks a Bible into a concentration camp. That's what it meant to her. She had to sneak it in, y'all. It's because she was going into a hopeless situation and there was one way to have hope. Because see, now we carry the presence of God with us. Yeah? And we gather corporately. He is in his house. We are living, we ought to be living in the presence of God. But so many of us, we don't know who he is. We don't know that he is the hope and the light. Do you know how hard it is to go into a concentration camp full of Jewish people and say, I have hope for you? As they're watching people starve around them? But they believed it. As a matter of fact, they believed it so much. Corey's sister died in that concentration camp. And she got out and she was like, you have to tell him. You have to tell him what God did here. And that's what she committed her life to. The word of God is powerful. I'm like, hey, you feeling anxious? Sounds so kitschy in our world. I'm like, the internet says this all the time. But really, like, are you feeling anxious? Have you, have you cracked this open? You have questions? You have doubts? Ask them. That is not wrong. Have you cracked this open to find the answer? Feeling hopeless and dark. The world is a messy place right now, y'all. Crack this open. It's not going to change. It's not going to change.